0: Hello everyone. My name is Kadir with the aim high podcast today. I am so happy to introduce Adam Wells. Adam, how are you doing today? Hey, Kadir. I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. I greatly appreciate that. Cause you, I looked at your work and it seems phenomenal. So I'm really excited to get to know like the creative process and what you do and all that fun stuff. So I feel like we should just hop on into it. I'm really excited for this interview. So my first question for you is, uh, can you tell us about yourself, like your background and what you do for work today?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I am born and raised outside Detroit in the Bluefield Hills area. So Cranbrook was definitely a part of home for me growing up. I'll jump ahead really fast. Like today, I'm living out in San Francisco working as a photographer and filmmaker. And hopefully, you know, this over the course of the podcast, we can fill in the gaps of how I got from A to B. But yeah, Cranbrook was always a a wonderful place that fostered creativity and the arts. And I think that was definitely a crucial starting point. For me, on the road to becoming a full-time photographer.
0: So you do full-time photography. What type of photography are you doing?
1: Yeah, I my specialty is you could call brand narrative and lifestyle, like commercial lifestyle work. So I shoot with a lot of companies like outdoor brands like REI, Cliff Bar, Smartwool, Cotopaxi, Helly Hansen, like that. Some of those name brands you might see around in your closet.
0: Yeah, how did you get involved in doing that?
1: I went to University of Michigan, studied architecture, and I was always interested in applied design, how to add function and beauty to things. And I moved to Denver and found this outdoor company called Topo Designs that was up and coming. I was a third hire, so it was still really tiny and they've grown to something like 70 employees these days. And for those folks that aren't familiar with it, it's kind of like a Patagonia, but on a small scale and. I got to help them a lot with their marketing photography, had always been a hobby and that's really where my photography found a function. I got to chase beauty with function. And so some of those interests that I'd cultivated at Cranbrook and had studied on the path toward architecture kind of all converged into a new profession. And that was six or so years ago. So I've been freelancing as a photographer ever since I left Topo Designs.
0: And then for freelance, like how do you go about finding clientele and like doing your work? So I know you have your Instagram page and your or your actual website page and mm-hmm. your Vimeo page, you full of all your stuff. So how do you go about finding new clientele, new brand or sponsorship or your own type of photography for?
1: I think it's important to have different portfolios in different formats. So Instagram effectively functions as an online portfolio, a hub that people gravitate toward. And it used to be just sharing in real time. And as it's become more core to my profession, it's an opportunity to curate a portfolio in that space. I use my website as well. I have some like physical books that I'll share occasionally in like in-client meetings. But a lot of it's word of mouth. A lot of it's the relationships that you build over time. I think there's a truth to the vulnerability of all creatives of like having to put yourself out there all the, you know, over and over and over again. So I'll do outreach blindly. Occasionally, I try and stay in the practice of doing that regularly just because it's a good practice to maintain and i find it valuable to continue making new connections along the way but i'd say the bulk of my clientele over the years has come from yeah existing relationships and then those folks recommending me to people that they know or they change changed jobs and now they're at a new company and we start working together there so it's every job's different. And it's part of what I love about the work is just constantly evolving and new. I'm not at the same desk doing the same task. It's always changing.
0: that so like the challenge that presents itself in your field. Like the fact that it's always changing is never constant. Do you ever find that challenging or do you can embrace it and think it's like one of the positive aspects of what you do for work?
1: I think that there's a duality to that. I think you've got to really, if you want to freelance, you've got to be hungry i mean that's what people told me out of the gate when i first started doing it they're like yeah it's sort of like a river that's always running and you're swimming up river you're going upstream and you've got to like work to get there and i think that you have to have a positive mindset around that maybe that's a helpful analogy i don't know it's just like yeah the technology is always changing there's a million people that love using those tools and that equipment so if you want to stay on top of it you've got to be prepared to keep up with the newest, latest things, that's helpful yeah. to stay relevant and you don't have to, right? Like you can, some of the old technologies coming back around and old cameras have their place in creating an aesthetic and a feeling. And, you know, I think as an artist, you've got to walk that line of like, how do you express yourself effectively? There's a million different tools, so that can be a strength and a weakness, I suppose. You gotta like find the ones that work for you.
0: Absolutely. And I know with photography tools can be anything from the gear that you use to like your creative eye to your editing process. Could you like talk more about those three aspects? Like how do you plan for a picture, the gear that you use?
1: Yeah. Okay. I'm editing a batch right of photos right now. It was like a 10 day shoot up in Alaska and we took 50,000 photos. And so there's a lot of material to move through. And over those 10 days, there are moments of success and finding things that are exciting and then there are moments of you know you're trying you're trying to create a shot you're taking photos but it's not actually quite landing even though I'm shooting I know it's not maybe it's not hitting just yet but I'm I've got to work with the people via my collaborators to keep shifting it toward the next best thing until all of a sudden oh there it's working it's landing and I think that's the creative process is just being comfortable in the uncertainty of trying to create something and hoping that it's going to succeed that your idea is going to come to life in this beautiful fashion and i think the more experience you have shooting fifty thousand photos is a really helpful way of testing ideas right like you've had to work through a lot of, of different concepts to get to the successful moments after doing that for a few years you start to know the recipes for okay, if I want to backlight this person and I want to put them on the thirds lines, like that's going to get me this kind of image and I'm trying not to be too long-winded, but I didn't touch on like the difference between tools. It's like more and more, I mostly shoot analog cameras for my personal work and digital cameras for my commercial work, just because the commercial work necessitates volume and a fast turnaround. And that said, I've been able to experiment more with merging those two worlds and bringing my analog cameras on commercial shoots. And it's been fun to find the moments where, you know, 35 millimeter is appropriate versus a digital camera. There's not one answer or, you know, rule to abide by, but it's why it's helpful to know your tools. And it's why it's helpful to have a few different options that you get to play with. And the more developed that relationship is that you have with your tools, the easier it is to express yourself through them. I feel like, you know, musicians have that relationship with their tools and the better they know their instrument and the more practice they have, the more expressive they can be
0: through that device. Absolutely. So for the audience real fast, what's the difference between, or the feel of the difference between the analog and digital camera?
1: Yeah, I graduated in 2009 for the folks, you know, younger <laughs> than me. Cameras up through the early nineties were all analog and used like physical film, 35 millimeter film. Is a certain size, 35 millimeters. There's also 120 millimeters, which is truly just the size of the roll of film that you're loading into a camera. And those cameras historically were not electronic. And maybe they had a little battery for a light meter in there, but they were built on a metal and they're just bricks that still stand the test of time. And as a great way to learn the manual dials and control a camera, the key settings are your. Shutter speed, aperture, and your ISO, which is like your, the film's sensitivity. And all those are just different tools for controlling light. But with the onset of digital technology and consumer electronics, Mm -hmm. the 90s saw this huge shift toward digital cameras. And so now we're in this age of mega powerful, compact digital cameras that can create really beautiful images. But sometimes those are, they're too perfect. They're like, sterile in a way it's predictable and there's something about you know lens flare or grain or yeah light leaks that create a feeling or just like even a, a blurry image right if something is just out of focus or a hand is moving those kinds of quote unquote imperfections come more naturally on the slower analog cameras i've found that shooting on those has helped inform what i look for when using digital technology to create images as well.
0: Absolutely. That was beautifully said. I really like how you say to that, because I know there was a difference between like analog cameras and then they moved over to like DSLRs and now the camera industry is making another shift towards like mirrorless cameras. Are you currently using a mirrorless camera at all or are you still sticking with DSLRs?
1: I'm playing with all the tools. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I have, um, Canon's mirrorless body. It's the Canon R5 that I use for a lot of my professional work, which was the next iteration. The previous version was a DSLR, the 5D Mark IV. So that, yeah, it has a mirror that actually swings up and down to expose the sensor. And those mirrorless cameras have removed that physical piece of technology so that the camera body can be even more compact, which yeah, is a really powerful shift. And that's relatively early technology, but all the big camera makers are moving that direction and starting to make wider array of lenses and variations on that kind of body type. I've tried not to lose people with the nerdy camera talk too much, but
0: not yeah. that people will love it. it help Especially for the photographers that are aspiring to be photographers. Like they just picked up like the, maybe their first camera body and it's kind of cheap and they're wondering, man, I want to be really good at this, but I don't know what to do. what, what advice would you give them?
1: I would say like right now I'm obsessed with this specific film camera. It's a Nikon N80. It's from the nineties. It's 50 bucks on eBay. It's cheap, plastic consumer film camera, but it's really reliable and it takes great images. I find it performs just as well, if not better than some of the really fancy collector's cameras that people love to put on their like list of recommended top 10 film cameras you can buy or whatever. And I bring that up because I just, I think it represents this idea that there's no bad camera everybody will tell you the best cameras when you have on you and if you're trying to express an idea and you find that your tool can't capture it for you then you should start looking for another tool but that doesn't mean that tool is invaluable right it probably has some strength that you don't even realize yet it can offer which is why it's fun you know i encourage people to try lots of different cameras and grow a little collection and see which ones you gravitate toward ask friends reach out to people that, you know, take photos and see what their favorite cameras are. It's a great way to learn and try new things. I spend a ridiculous amount of time talking to friends about cameras. I have a growing list in my Evernote that's all different models that I've been interested in or tried or had recommended to me. And I'm very far from trying all of them.
0: And I know that you do photography, but on the other side, on the flip side, I know you also do videography too. I know you've done like a few videos that I watched on your Vimeo page, like the Green Diamond and before the spill.
1: Yeah, of course. Very different mediums. But for me, there's been a natural progression into motion over my career as a photographer. I've collaborated with a handful of filmmakers. You know, then I started picking up the camera and actually running video on a handful of shoots. And, you know, that was maybe five years ago. So I've just continued to grow more and more into that space and worked on editing as its own beast. I think that video is much more of a team sport than photography. And you've got to get people on board to help execute the vision, depending on the size of the project. It's a more intensive medium, but it's also been really fulfilling to explore those differences between video and photo because a successful frame, a still frame is very different than a successful frame in motion. And some, you have to let the subject pass through the edge of the frame in video, and maybe you're tracking, but maybe you're locked off and you need to let them clear versus photo, you're gonna track the subject and try and keep them perfectly centered or on the thirds line or something through the frame as you track with them. So it's been fun for me to explore different shooting styles and learn through different mediums, how to tell a story, capture an idea. And most of my photo work is tied to some kind of narrative. Even if it's just as simple as sense of place, you know, we're we're out in Alaska, up in the mountains, uh, hiking with the view of the city below. You, there's a story there of sense of place and what the person's doing. I feel like video. I've been able to explore that on a deeper level. That's pretty fulfilling so far.
0: Absolutely, it seems like photography and videography, although they're both used with cameras, there's like you said entirely different beasts. Like it's just a different thought process, essentially. To like, how can you get the most successful creative shot? Because say, for example. You going to Alaska to stream those 50,000 pictures. If you were there to shoot video, I feel like that would look a little bit different, would it not?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was working alongside a filmmaker up there. He's great. His name is Jacob. He and I would work together and find different, we try to stay out of each other's frames. You're communicating on, on the ground about what angle is going to line up and look best, what movement and motion of this activity is going to, how it's going to play out and, and kind of hatch a plan. But of course, what I come home with looks a lot different than what he comes home with. That said, we're still looking for the same things. We're trying to tell the same story. Our execution, the way that we capture that is going to vary slightly. And the end product is, of course, going to be different. But it's funny how the subject might be almost, the subject in many instances is identical. So you're still interfacing with these same ideas. But yeah, just as a creative, the tools at your fingertips and how you interact with them, start to shift. Like a good example is I would take on these photo shoots. I'd take all kinds of little detail shots of the rocks on the shoreline, right? There were a bunch of these really flat, perfect skipping rocks on the shores, but that doesn't make a super compelling image for a brand that doesn't show product or logo or a person enjoying the activity they're doing. It's like too detailed to really fit into their use for the media, whereas in a video that might tell you something you might be able to hear this, the waves crashing as you see those rocks, and then you cut to somebody running past. And so you're able to focus on these different areas that I was still seeing as a photographer, but wasn't finding relevant to my end product. And by shifting into the motion world and having you know, a foot in both places, there's some satisfaction in being able to find utility some of the frames that I'd I'd noticed in the past or that my eye would gravitate toward, but didn't have an outlet in photo.
0: So would you say that being a photographer has improved your videography or being a videographer has helped your photography or not really?
1: I think that they inform each other. I don't know that it's a a one-way street or that one is better than the other. I think it's just a part of my journey. I know of some photographers who are like, I'm not touching video. That is not my thing. And they're not interested in it. And that's totally fine. For me, I've found productive overlap there. And yeah, it's been fulfilling to explore. And I think that I'm not the only one who's gone down that road and found that to be true. I definitely, I took some friends encouraging me and supporting me as I made the jump into motion to I had to really educate myself and spend a lot of time researching to make sure I knew the differences of those mediums and felt prepared and up to speed to actually execute at a professional level. But it's so worth it. Taking that jump and leaning into a new craft. So I, yeah, if somebody's out there listening, I encourage you to take the jump if you're thinking about it.
0: Absolutely. And I have a question for you. Like, how did you know that you wanted to do photography and videography as a profession? Because I know people do photography and videography as hobbies, but when was there a moment or did you just decide like I want to do this for the rest of my life?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm honestly really resistant to saying. I wanted. this is something I'm doing for the rest of my life because I'm still 30 and I'm hoping I've got a good 60 years ahead. And if at any point I feel like it's time to pivot and explore new things, like I think it's great to keep an open mind and stay flexible. But I do, that said, I love photography and also making videos and films. The real moment for me was while working at Topo Designs, I was collaborating with a photographer. Her name's Ali Vagnini out of Boulder. And she's amazing. She'd done a lot of work with other brands and does beautiful wedding photography as well. And I was kind of like the brand connection. I would help her on these shoots and operate on behalf of the brand. And she was the first person to encourage me. She's like, hey, you you're good at this. You could definitely do this if you wanted to. And it had been something like I loved taking photos already. And it was something I Played around with quite a bit over the years, but had never considered pursuing as a full-time career. Funny enough, I was really interested in entrepreneurship in college. I did the entrepreneurship program at Michigan alongside architecture and always was interested in running my own business. And like I said, was always interested in the design world and and the art world. And so I just had never, I always thought I'd make a product, like a thing, a physical thing. Mm -hmm. And I never thought, of photos as products until I met Ali and a, you know a handful of other photographers who were doing that full time and I during my time at Topo interfaced with all those different people and they showed me that path and that really opened up my eyes to it being something that I could pull off and pursue and yeah I'm so grateful for that exposure I definitely don't, really don't think I would have found myself on this path had I not like I had to work at Topo as a starting place to build those relationships. Like I wouldn't be, I built a lot of connections in the outdoor industry with other marketing people and other brand reps that when I then left Topo Designs, I was able to continue maintaining and cultivating those friendships and relationships. And those are my clients. Those are the people that I started working with. It's not always a linear path, but down the road, you look back and it makes sense. You can see how it all connects.
0: It's huge to have an open mind about like, where are you going next? I don't think it's ever doing yourself a service if you're close-minded and thinking you're only going to go down one route because there's, there's multiple ways to get to the same destination.
1: Absolutely. And everybody's path is different. I think comparison is natural, but challenging and one person succeeding and landing big clients and you're like, why are they getting that success? And I'm not, but you have no idea what predated that partnership and all the different little steps that they took along the way that, you know, it's easy to be on the outside and think like, wow, how the heck did you pull something like this off? Whether that's a client, a job, but yeah, everybody has incremental progress. (laughs) They they chip away at this larger goal. And so many of us, by the time we reach it, it doesn't feel like we've achieved something. We take our successes for granted often.
0: That's a great point because I completely agree. I think progress isn't necessarily, you move a whole mountain at once. It's like start off with one rock and then you move down the rock and then progress and growth is a lot slower than what we give the credit for nowadays. Like sometimes we think it's going to happen very quickly, but in reality, it's often quite slow.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we're living in this moment of instant feedback, gratification, notification, everything happens within seconds and our attention spans are shrinking a bit, but it's helpful to remember that, yeah, the big things take lots of time and showing up consistently. Yeah. I feel really lucky that I've found myself on this path. Like I said, it wasn't this like vision I had at the start of like this, that's the mountaintop, that's where I want to go so much as I've just taken a nice long walk through the woods and found myself somewhere I am enjoying at the moment.
0: And reflecting on your journey, I started from the beginning. I want to take it back to Cranbrook because this is a Cranbrook and yours podcast. You said earlier that you went to Michigan for architecture and entrepreneurship. And I know Cranbrook is huge into architecture. If you ever walked to the Cranbrook campus, you can tell that the architecture at Cranbrook is absolutely beautiful and breathtaking. So Adam, like what about the Cranbrook architecture? Has it influenced you at all? Is that what your first like kind of dipping your toes into architecture was like? Of
1: course. Yeah. How lucky are we to have spent a few years on that campus and I loved walking between classes whenever I could squeeze it in you know yeah those 15 minutes go fast but there's an endless amount of inspiration and beauty at our fingertips there and of course that influenced me as a young adult and and shaped what i valued i feel really lucky that we were, went to a school that did value the arts and creative expression and had resources at our fingertips you know like i went down to the art alley all the time for sculpture metal smithing uh, ceramics like those were some of my favorite hours of the day throughout high school. And, you know, that's more of the art side than the architecture explicitly, but I was a gold key member. So I gave tours of school and I got all those little, uh, insights that they taught us as grammar ambassadors that, like to look for the asymmetry in some of these, there'd be these big, beautiful columns of limestone and there'd be like a little carving of a mouse or a lizard on the side that they just like tuck in as a little detail. And I remember seeing that stuff or learning about that stuff and eating it up. I thought that was so wonderful to have such beauty and thoughtful detail and and, you know, to push beyond perfect symmetry to have a little character as well. And I definitely, I think about that all the time in photography too. Like how can you take the perfect symmetrical, beautiful kind of predictable thing and spin it just enough that it has something extra. And those are definitely lessons and gifts that I received from Cranbrook. It's a special place in my heart for sure.
0: Do you have a favorite or most fond memory of Cranbrook?
1: Oh, most fond memory. It's hard to, I really have a hard time picking one. I played on the lacrosse of hockey teams and everyone that jumps out is winning. We won states, we won the state championship my senior year in ice hockey, so that was Definitely a big goal that we had been chasing and a high for sure. But even like, yeah, I have a lot of love for Joe Smith, the ceramics teacher, and I've gone back and visited him at the ceramics studio a handful of times. And that space and his class is still something I think of when I think of Cranbrook. And, and I have a lot of fond memories of that class and in time with Joe. And yeah, I mean, wow, I, I, my mind is just flooding with different visions of places around campus but yeah, I had this one time I had a free period and I guess hockey related again, but I used to be a jock. So <laughs> but I played, um, uh, I had to play ice hockey in the middle of my free period. And I just thought that was the craziest thing as a, you know, whatever sophomore in high school that I could walk to an ice rink and put on skates and cruise around and like shoot pucks for 30 minutes in the middle of the school day. That is a pretty rare and special thing mm-hmm. that. Not many high schoolers have access to. Yeah. Right, here's one more that's hockey related, but by the oval froze over one time. And so me and two friends like got our skates and skated around the track of the oval. This is before they redid it. So it used to be gravel, but yeah, that was pretty wild. And just spending time in the quad, like walking around or sitting on the stone benches with friends.
0: was so many good memories. Yeah. Whenever I asked that question, I also think of all in my favorite like fontan and of Cranbrook and I... I often think of things that I forgot about quite frankly. Like I forgot that I had these experiences or these memories until I hear someone else talking about their fond memories. I'm like, oh my God, it's been, I did something similar, or I had another fun experience in that same location. So I just think like, it's something beautiful that so many people have attended this school, it's really like a blessing that we have all attended the school and we all have at different times and we all have just really fond positive memories of Cranbrook.
1: Yeah. I mean, I hope so. I think it's been a good place to lots of people. And I definitely just feel really grateful. I know that a lot of, for a lot of folks, high school is a really challenging time. And that's not to say it's not for grammar students as well at different moments, but it is a nurturing place with a lot to offer. And I look back with fond memories.
0: Absolutely. Okay, Adam, and then my last question for you for the podcast is like, what's next for me? What do you have on the crosshairs? How are you aiming high, quote unquote? That's right.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks, Thanks for the thoughtful questions and for bringing me on. What's next for me? I'm working on a film about a, a runner-athlete out in Bend, Oregon. He's on the U.S. men's trail running team. and has been for a handful of years. Has set a couple different speed records, including the fastest 50-mile and 100-mile run on treadmill. It's this guy, Mario Mendoza Jr. He's um Mexican-American distance and trail runner. And it's he's just a really inspiring guy who I'm hoping to tell his story. It's a film for Brooks. He's a Brooks athlete. A sneaker company but it's not so much a story about shoes or anything it's about a story about mario and his experience especially in recent years burn zones areas in eastern oregon that have been burning over these past few years and you know the difficulties as an athlete experiencing your home trails disappearing in front of you you know he'll like train and run He wants to set a fastest no time on a trail or something and he's been working on this route for months and then Burn season rolls in and you can't go outside. You can't breathe outside for some weeks on end. And he's a father now. He's kind of on the latter half of his professional career. He's a pastor and a youth running coach. And so his story also weaves in this idea of what are we leaving for behind for the next generation? Because a lot of his running practices and for cross country and track, like they can't go outside and train until their season's been getting pushed back later and later each year due to forest fires and i think that's definitely my hope as a photographer and filmmaker is lifting up stories of people that are doing meaningful and significant things and using those mediums to highlight more than just a cool product or something but to actually showcase people and concepts that are worth meditating on and might move us in a positive direction because we're definitely all facing some pretty big challenges in the in the decades to come and I think that photo and video is a powerful medium to influence and create change.
0: Absolutely. that's beautifully put.
1: We'll see if I can do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have the confidence that yeah. you'll be most definitely able to pull that off.
1: It takes many, many people, a chorus of voices. I'm just one out there. Yeah. But yeah, I'm excited to check in on your work and follow along with your journey too.
0: Absolutely. I'll keep updated thanks. for sure.
1: Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity to link up and have a conversation. I really appreciate it, Kadir.
0: Of course, Adam. Thank you so much, and best of luck with all your future endeavors. You're gonna, you're gonna kill it. Man. Hey, cheers. Likewise. Aim high. Aim high, buddy.
1: This has been Aim High, Cramer Kingswood alumni podcast. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate if you could take a few seconds to subscribe wherever you listen and leave us a five star review. This helps a lot in getting the word out and making the podcast easier to find. For any feedback or guest requests, please send an email to robert at alumni.fm. Thank you so much for listening and catch you soon.